You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and in this episode I'm talking to Andy Osho. Now this is an episode which should have gone out several months ago and I don't know why it didn't. Many apologies to Andy. Um, This was time to coincide with the release of Curfew on Sky, which we will talk about briefly. Um, I believe you can still get that on Catch Up or on Now TV or any of those other uh, Sky things that you've been watching Game of Thrones on. Um... We are going to talk, we very quickly, Andy is a, sort of an old friend, I've not seen her for a long time, but it was really lovely to catch up with her, having uh, not seen her for a while, and we very quickly get into the meat of some stuff. She's been, um, I mean, she's had an extraordinary career, uh, probably around about 2012, her star was burning as brightly as stars tend to burn on the UK comedy scene. She was on all the TV shows, all the panel shows, uh, and you can still see some phenomenal clips of her very very striking powerful and uh, well authored stand-up um at live at the apollo and so forth you can catch up with all of those uh, online on youtube um and uh, and then something went wrong and we're going to start talking about that sort of pretty much from the off um so uh, my thanks to andy for being so upfront and uh, and so candid i really enjoyed this episode and it is to my shame that uh, it slipped out of the uh, release schedule and it was up to uh, jake my logging elf who uh, who said have you have you are you going to ever release that one and i poo-pooed his email and said no 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 that went out months ago check the thing again and uh, i checked and he was absolutely right so apologies to jake very many apologies to andy i am very pleased now to be bringing you this episode with the brilliant Andy Osher. Where have you been? Oh, mate. Like, it's been a while, hasn't it? Um, I, I, went, I went to LA. I took myself off to LA. Okay. Yeah. Took yourself off. Does that suggest you weren't invited? You were like, I'm going to go and smash the doors down? Okay. So what happened was, I was... I suppose the term would be burnt out. Like everything happened very quickly in a very intense period of time. And no matter what I 
did, I was just exhausted all the time. And I was pretty depressed, actually. Um, I know that on the surface, what was going on for me at that time was was someone's dream. Um, it just turned out that it wasn't mine. So, and, and just for for those of us that don't know, yeah, what was so, going on at the time? So, so I was doing, you know, the panel shows, and I'd done two, like I think, two live at the Apollos by that point, and you know, just stuff was coming my way. It was, it was, it was everything that you know when you start out on a comedy career you dare to dream of but don't expect and you know they those things were starting to come my way you know I'd done uh, I think two Edinburgh shows toured three times played the O2 with a bunch of other people but you know nonetheless still stood in front of 15,000 people you know I'd done all these things and I yeah I just got to so somewhere in 2012 and just thought this isn't this isn't working like something about this isn't working i mean this is all me retrofitting an explanation at the time i was just very depressed i was exhausted i <clears throat> i i was starting to feel like this experience of separation from the person who was going on stage and myself like even now i was talking to a friend about this last night and even now i refer to her sometimes as like as though she's another person because you know i don't I don't speak like her anymore. I don't think like her. I don't dress like her for sure. I mean, I don't have the legs for those dresses anymore. But like, you know what I mean? Like she's a different, she's a different person. And and what's really interesting, especially like with Dave, you know, where there's repeats and stuff like that. And people respond to her, to me. They tell me, it's like, it's, it's like someone telling me, oh, you, I saw your sister on TV last night. She was great. It's like, cool, all right, thanks. Yeah, just, okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I sort of got such a separate separation from her now. And and just describe her in a bit more detail for people who haven't seen the. I mean, everyone can go online and see. There's yeah. tons of tons of clips, tons of uh, sure. uh, viewership. You know, the, whatever the word is, tons of tons of watches or whatever likes and things. Yeah, it, it's all out there. Yeah. If people are listening to this and haven't and haven't seen her. Yes. And I'm fascinated by that because I, we we get that often, but with people talking about characters, and that mm. sounds like that's almost kind of verging yeah. on what it was. I mean, she. I'm gonna, I'm no, gonna, no, you can I'm gonna, call her me. I'm going to go with it. No, I'm going to go right, with it. Okay. She, Andy Osho of 20, what, 11, yeah, 2011, 2012. Yeah, yeah. Describe her in, in, as you remember her. Um, She was, uh, she, I guess, you know, I don't like the word sassy particularly, but yeah, there's, there's some sass, some sort of, you know, street about her, and she was straight talking and. Uh, you know, I, I suppose when I was trying to label what I was doing, I guess it was sort of social commentary because I didn't talk about myself very much. And even when I did, you know, I did a show about relationships. I didn't really give anything away about myself. I was pretty, pretty closed in that respect. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's and, and, and the look was very curated you know there was a particular thing she would wear and stuff she wouldn't you know that was definitely part of it and and you know curated by whom it was initiated by addison Craswell, actually because he got me in a headlock <laughs> as he does and it was when we were like getting ready to do stand up for the week and he was like i want you to be that that sort of hackney girl yeah like really sassy and blah, blah, blah. and i'm like i'm not from hackney addison you're choking me i'm from new <laughs> but and uh, but i get i got where he was coming from and um 
you know, we had a stylist in, and I, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, he made me do it. He made me do it. You know, it wasn't that at all. He saw something that was going to work. So it was completely authentic at that time. Do you know what I mean? That was who I was. Um, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I would say, I, I mean, I did it and I, and it felt right. I never felt like, I never Got looked it. down at my clothes or what I was saying. I just like, who are you, you monster? You know, I, sure, it, sure. it was, it, but it, it wasn't a decision that you'd have gone in with. No, but I liked it. You sure. know, there was, there was definitely because, because I suppose, I suppose maybe I was channeling a part of who I am, but don't we all, you know, when we're on stage performing, you know, especially if it's an authentic performance, you're still channeling a part of you, but it's not all of you. Yeah. There's parts that there's parts of you that people don't experience or don't know about or whatever. But there's so 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 that performance, those performances were channeling a part of me. Hundred percent. Yeah. And and just the just to get across the visual element for people who haven't seen it, mm-hmm. you dressed like and you looked like a warrior. Huh? Do you know what I mean? God, you looked okay. like a, you looked like a, you know, I mean, the streak in your oh, hair. Yeah, big, I'm so jealous of your hair. Oh. I like big hair, <laughs> big hair, big streak, like an inventive streak in the hair, like a, like like when you say stylist, it doesn't it doesn't bat an eyelid for me because I'm like, of course, oh, right? Right. I, mean, makes, yeah. I didn't I didn't think you had a stylist, but it it completely makes sense that you did because there were some big choices. Yeah. And you looked powerful. Wow, okay. And you walked out and people went nuts. You can see it now on all of those videos. You walking out, it make, you're one of the few acts that it makes sense for the backdrop to lift up and there be smoke. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, if Gary That's Delaney great. wanders out, yeah, sure, he's an incredible comic. But right, he's yeah, a, you yeah. know, and I'm sure he would say this himself, he's just a bloke in a, in a whatever he's wearing, in a suit. Right. You walk out and you're like, fucking right, there's smoke. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? right, okay. Gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was. I wasn't thinking with that in mind, but yes, the. I suppose in hindsight, seeing it, it was like the the look did lend itself to the occasion because it was big. You know, stand up for the week and Michael McIntyre's Roadshow and Apollo and stuff like that. So <clears throat> they're big sort of marquee shows. So and and it was all the same producer. So they had that sort of that's that look. You know, with their shows. Yep, yep, yep. So I kind of fitted, what I was doing fitted in with that. Yeah. And it also was something that no one else was doing or had done. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you were the first person that did that. I don't know if anyone's done that since. Hit that note mm-hmm. of that amount of... The, I mean, <laughs> it's really interesting <laughs> looking at the comments underneath someone's YouTube, which I don't know whether you've done or not. No, I don't. Done. No, so this is going to be news. <laughs> no, the, so the, the comments are, she's really funny. Legs. She's really funny. <laughs> Whoa, those legs. She's really funny. Have you seen the legs? Do you okay, know what I mean? right. And, and to be if, fair, you I guess you're such a powerful person. They're kind of respectful, if that is a thing. Right. They're kind of respectful. No one's going like, no, I'm not going to do an impression of someone saying something awful. But they're kind of like... You know, it's you get the impression it's lots of keyboard men reeling, going, holy right. shit, they're not saying grubby things, yeah, depending yeah. on where you kind of place that, but yeah. they, are, they are kind of in awe. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of that, not, not a huge amount. I mean, I, but then again, I wasn't reading comments and things like that, and I... And maybe people close to me knew a certain amount of like putting on of the character sort of thing and see me outside of that because that wasn't who I was being day to day sort of thing, you know. Um, But yeah, definitely, yeah, like from that point of stepping on stage once the heels were on 
I think, yeah, definitely there's a sort of, you're coming into alignment with something so that through you something can be expressed and that character is fully realised, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? A hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you're... You're very articulate about that and the nature of kind of character. You're from a theatrical background. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I started, um, uh, <laughs> I used to work in post-production, actually. I, you know, did that for 10 years. I worked Just in... explain what post-production is. So post-production is... is, is, is Everything that happens once the show's been shot, so it's the editing, it's the making the sound lovely, might be effects work that's done. um, Just loads of processes have to happen once the show's been shot. And so I was, um, I worked in the sort of operational side of it, so I helped to organise all those different processes to make sure that the show got completed and delivered to the broadcaster in the form that they wanted it. And so I did that for about 10 years in various different areas different various different ways and then I just got to the point where I was working on a, a soap that's no longer with us night and day the weirdest soap on television I don't official. think I've even heard exactly. of it exactly what, what was the it, premise it, it, it started off with these two mothers that whose daughters got swapped somehow at birth okay but this but 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 they were only discovering it like 16 years after okay. it happened or okay. something like that and it just got weirder and weirder and weirder and it was on at 5 30 and itv pulled it because it was too weird okay. and they replaced it with crossroads so <laughs> <laughs> which is the right thing to do um and then yeah so i was actually on site with the production side of that soap doing my post-production bit and getting to know the actors. And I was just like, as time went on, I was just like, I don't see what they're doing. (laughs) You know, and I was like watching it. That was the first time you had that thought? Well, it had been with me a long time, but that was the first time that I thought, I'm going to do something about this. Because before, like I went to college and Idris Elba was there when I was at college and all kinds of people that have gone on to do amazing things but I it never occurred to me that I could follow that path so that's why I went to Ravensbourne College and studied whatever I had to, to what's be. the significance of so Ravensbourne is like it's probably one of the one of the best sort of design and um, media training grounds basically okay. in the UK and um, so at the time there were very few people doing their sort of TV making um, and operations program so I somehow got myself onto that and I decided all right fine I'll be in the background sort of thing I'll be behind the camera doing something there and it ended up being post-production and then you know roll forward 10 years and I'm just like I I really enjoyed my job and it appealed to a certain part of me but there was always a part of me that was hungry and that this knowing that this would never satiate it it would never be satisfied with just spreadsheets and organizing other people's creativity so yeah Okay, so you so you went from there into theatre making. Yeah, so I went to I did a little um, sort of yeah acting training, and then I thought, let me make my work, my acting work. If I can get it, I'll make it an apprenticeship. So every job, I'll just absorb as much as I can because I, I felt like I didn't have the time to go to drama school. Uh, you know, really commit to a sort of rather three years, da, 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 all this sort of thing. So I thought, let me just just get started and treat the whole thing as a, uh, you know, as an apprenticeship. Of course, <laughs> the way my mind was built, I just felt like a complete charlatan, like for the whole time. So whenever people and, you know, what new actors are always talking about drama school. So whenever they had that conversation, I would literally just c- climb into a hole and just like, oh, okay. look, you know, and try and d- d- change the subject or something or 
yeah, it was awful. It was awful because I really wanted to do it, but I was just so consumed with this idea that I wasn't supposed to be there because I hadn't done the proper I training. imagine they'd have felt the same if you dropped them. Well, I've been working in post-production. They'd all have been like, oh, fuck, what is that? What is that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you think you know, they would have been... I didn't even think of that. I just, just utterly was overwhelmed by the fact that they all knew about drama school and loads yeah. of different plays and loads of different directors and production companies. And they just, ah, they were just And they're constantly dropping those things right. to each other to affirm themselves and go, hey, we're all in it. Yeah, I get it, right? I get it. Exactly. Minter, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I love Minter or whatever his name is. <laughs> Yeah, just Harold Minter. So, so yeah, so there was a lot of that. And what was interesting about stand-up, which came to me partly out of necessity, was that it somehow gave me the... I don't want to say validation, but it made, it's made me much more comfortable as an actor now because I feel like I've done my time. It might not have been in the halls of RADA, but I've done my time now. So now I feel fully... Um, I, you know, I'm not distracted by this sort of charlatan issue anymore because, yeah. Yeah, you've done road miles that actors right. haven't. <laughs> right. Yeah, mate, we, we can all pretend to be a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I did a postgrad acting course, so I know what it's like in a drama school. Right, and yeah. you do pretend to be a tree, and that is valid, and it has its own... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I completely can see how... That is a... Ba- you know, road miles are like a hard-won thing. Right. Dying on your ass in Falmouth is uh, I've got a show coming up there it's going to go really well it's going to go really well don't know why I reached for Falmouth um, but but yeah that's you know that gives you a sort of like an inner confidence yeah yeah it quietens something and invalidates that sort of um that voice in you that tells you you're not good enough how long was there a voice telling you you weren't good enough I mean, it's always there, Stuart. But it quietened down quite a lot um, during the stand-up time. Uh, um, now, so, what, so the question is... Ha, ha, say the question again so that I know that I'm saying the truth. Okay. The, you mentioned in passing, too, the voice inside. You, 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 once you'd done the stand-up stuff, it mm. quietened the voice inside that said you're not good enough. Mm. And... Uh, I'd like to talk to you about where that voice came from. How long, when did, were you first aware of it? How long was it? I have one of those. Yeah, it's a preoccupation. This is the right podcast on which to talk about it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> I, felt you, I felt I saw you make a choice there. Um, or, you know, be at the, the threshold. How, how deep should we go? As no, deep as you're happy. Okay, yeah. No, because I can feel that I could cry, but equally, like, we could say something funny. So um, I, I think the reason that I wanted to just make sure I'm telling the truth is that I think the truth is it's always there. You know, it never it never really goes. It's just your relationship with it can change. And sometimes it does get a hold of you and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, those early days of acting, it just had a hold of me all the time. Pretty much all the time. Everything was a trigger for it. Did it, was it there in the, thank you, and uh, same here. <laughs> um, did, it, did it exist when you were doing post-production stuff? Oh, that's interesting. No, I was quite arrogant then, actually, because I, because I, I was just sort of bumbling along. I was. It, it, it's like the, it, again, sort of talking about like different versions of myself. But it feels like that was such a different time. I didn't really think about whether I was good or not. That's <laughs> interesting. Because I was just. It was just a job. I just. Yeah, it's a series of tasks. You complete the tasks. Yeah. Job done. 
Yeah. And then moving into acting or the creative arts, you sort of go, oh, never job done. Because, you know, there's no brief. There's no measurable targets. It just, it's out there. There's a right. thing now. How will I know if I've done my job? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Ironically, sorry, just as you were saying that, you just made me realise as well, though, that, you know, with a bit of perspective, I look back on those post-production days and go, oh, for a lot of the time, I was not very good at my job. Like, (laughs) I I can see that now because I was really, I was quite lazy. You know, I did the bare minimum. You know, I didn't... But you were happy, (laughs) were you? (laughs) Were you happy? Um, Oh, well, that's another question. Was I happy with the job? Yes, I was happy I had a job. Yes, (laughs) I enjoyed my colleagues and stuff. Yeah. But was I happy? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't, you know, I mean, this, that's, that's another question really, because that's, that's more like I had therapy and all that sort of caper. So I had to do all of that stuff. I was quite a sort of troubled person, like up until, I'd say probably, mm, probably mid thirties. Yeah, so for quite a while, quite a lot of my life, I was just like, like I was fun to be out with. You know what I mean? I was one of those people that they're fun as long as they haven't had too much to drink. And then they're like, oh, my dad left when I was seven and I haven't reconciled it still. You know, so (laughs) there was a lot of that. Okay. Um, uh, I'm assuming that that, uh, the dad leaving when you were seven is not just improv. That's like a thing. No, that's that's, that's that would would be your track. That would be where you'd go when you'd had one too many. Yeah, yeah, especially at that point because I had made no sense of it. Sure. I had made no sense of it. Do you think, as a sort of tangential question, do you think that... Do you think that people's brains are like they are one way or another. Do you think that, hypothetically, had your dad not left, Mm. you would have had the same questions about self and identity, but you'd have hung them on something else? Stuart, I think that is a very, very smart thing to say because I think that's exactly how it works. I I suspect that... I don't just suspect it. I I pretty much believe this wholeheartedly, that, you know, how human beings come into being, the the mechanism of it is is the same pretty much for everyone. And at some point, you will develop a personality. At some point, you will find what your hang-ups are going to be. And you take, you know... Whatever stimulus is presented is what what becomes the, the the shaping, as it were, of that personality. And you might have a breakdown at some point. You know what I mean? Like the, there's just like points in the road that we, you know, as a as a species tend to go through. And so yeah, you're right. If it hadn't have been that, I would have found something else probably. But that was the thing. That was the, that was what that was the one that that happened in my life do you ever find um i sometimes notice a new hang-up develop (laughs) i have a thought and then i think oh fuck i'm gonna think of it like that forever now so this is andy and um i mean she's so warm and funny and very very honest and open-hearted and that's what we like here on the show so thank you once again to her for coming along thanks of course to everyone uh, at the bill murray at Angel, who uh, Angel Comedy, who very kindly let us meet there to record. Um, I won't go too much into the content of this episode. I will tell you that uh, if you join the Insiders Club, you can get over 20 minutes of extras from this one. Andy goes into a lot of detail on some of the uh, courses that she's been on. We talk about the context of personality and how oneself is more than one's personality. Uh, We talk about ontological studies 
uh, and we talk about the Concord Institute and some of the, the brain training and the meditation that she's got into as, um, as she has continued her journey into understanding herself, I guess. Uh, we talk a bit about stage personas and how they're really a mask. Um, we talk a lot uh, about personal development and um, and also I uh, we talk about um, uh, sensitivity, words, and the desire to be educated. And uh, I think the way the editors worked uh, in the extras, you will hear me talk to her about the word warrior, which I said to her earlier on. Um, I think you've got to be careful about likening a black woman to a warrior. But I equally think, um, you know, we talk about it in the moment if you hear the extras. But uh, I, I also think that I can stand by that if you just take one look at one of her appearances on Live at the Apollo. She's uh, extraordinarily uh, physically striking and powerful, so I don't think I'm falling into uh, too much of a sort of pale male stale trap there, to use that analogy. So um, there is uh, all of that stuff available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Please join up there. Uh, the minimum donation is currently only £2 a month, but that is set to go up later in the year. So it's a good time to join now at £2 a month and get grandfathered in, as they say. Um, that's all of that. Um, I Listen, there's loads of stuff to talk to you about. I, I will mention um, Soho briefly. Um, I think... Did I speak about this last week? I can't remember. I've had a holiday week, and I will tell you in the post-amble the four things that went wrong on my holiday. Um, for now, a very quick shout-out to anyone going up to the Edinburgh Festival. If you'd like to join the ComCom Facebook group, um, search for Comedians Comedian Facebook group on podcast. It remains one of the nicest, warmest, and most pleasant and well-regulated corners of the internet. And as we start to all get giddy together about the impending Edinburgh Festival, uh, there will be lots of... Um, uh, suggestions for shows on there. People are sharing tips. People are. It will be. It'll be spreadsheet day before you know it, where we all geekily post our uh, uh, spreadsheets of all the shows we're going to go and see. Which, if you are new to the festival or making your first visit this year, I highly recommend just kind of. Uh, uh, hijacking spreadsheet day, or what's the word? Piggybacking spreadsheet day, in order to find, like, not just to see the level of organisation, the extraordinary planning which is possible, but also if you are about to go to the festival and fear you may be out of your depth. I mean, as a as a listener to this show, I, I think you've got a pretty good grounding in who to go and see. Um, but I, I I think actually a really simple way to do a first hit and run. And tell me if anyone's ever done this in the past. I've always thought this would be a good idea. Get on the Facebook group or follow me on Twitter at ComComPod. And when we do do Spreadsheet Day, I will retweet and we'll post everyone's spreadsheets about their shows. And just jump on and go, yeah, I'm having that. And just copy someone's day and see if you can keep up with uh, the most rabid ComCompletist and their, um, uh, their uh, extraordinary stamina and schedule. Um, there's going to be some special events coming up at this year's Edinburgh Festival as well for members of the Insiders Club. And if you're in the Facebook group, then you, that will be the first port of call for... Once all the insiders' tickets have gone out, um, then I will then, you know, once as many insiders are on board as, as can make it, then I'll make things available next to the Facebook group. So always a good idea to join up to that. What else? I feel like there's one. Oh, yeah, and come and see my show. Come and see my show, Primer, at the Edinburgh Festival at Monkey Barrel at 3pm daily. There's two consecutive days off in the middle, um, in the middle of the month, whilst I go home to clutch my children to me and attempt to, well, attempt to clutch my children to me as they variously go, get off <laughs> and throw tantrums at me. Um, so, more stuff in a post tumble coming up. Let's get back now to this conversation with Andy Osho. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you were to give advice to someone who is currently in that kind of mode, being successful, not completely... Uh, not feeling completely consistent that their stand-up persona represents them and what they want to mm. to achieve. Is there any way you could you could advise someone to tweak what they're doing, short of going stop and have a break? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, it depends. Are you saying are you saying that they're the, this person, this hypothetical person, is unhappy? Well, I'm saying this um, this hypothetical person is who you were in 2012 on stage, crushing gigs but not being sure that it was... Is that, have I understood that right? You were, you were yeah. doing well, big TV, big yeah. presence, but you now can look back and go, I don't think I was being honest in what I was doing. I, if, if we're talking about, if the hypothetical person is actually me, then I'd say then you, yes, you had to take a break. You had to stop. Sure. But if it was someone who was feeling like there's, they feel like there's a bit of a gap between who they are and what they're doing on stage, I would just say um, never feel like you have to do what other people tell you you should want. Because I think that I fell victim of that in a way. And not because that's not other people's fault. That's because I didn't listen to myself for, for quite a long time or didn't listen to the sort of warning signs or whatever in terms of how I was feeling. But What sort of, what sort of warning signs do you mean? Well, just how unhappy I was, I suppose, okay. really. <laughs> and, um, you know, particularly with comedy, I think that at that time it was very... There was a very clear narrative of what what comedians thought comedians should want. And so when you are offered those things, you didn't, I didn't feel as though there was, was any choice. I didn't even think about a choice. I thought, right, that's what, that's what I do now. If that's been offered, that's what I do. You know, I never thought, <clears throat> is there an artist in here desperate to express themselves? I was just like, oh, I got offered that, I have to do that, and then that will lead to that, and, and oh, everybody wants to tour, and everybody wants to do da 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 da, da right? And, and so I would do these things. But actually, I think if I was to say anything to anyone who was new to the industry or in the middle of a sort of crisis or whatever in their, in their sort of creative careers, it would be do what you feel you are called to do next and never buy into this a narrative that's been prescribed by other people in the industry because a lot of the time that's coming from their own stories their own inadequacies hang-ups you know personal desires or whatever they're nothing to do with you you know like there's so many people in this industry that haven't followed a particular path that have succeeded so why are we all telling each other that there's only one way of doing it um yeah and and in hindsight in a way the path that was available was not very exciting to me it felt quite limited i think there's more scope now for for stand for people who come through stand up 
but at the time it felt very limited. What did you what did you foresee that path was? Well, if you if you kept me, doing... one of seven, some studio somewhere, three hour records. Next, me, one of seven, fighting for their three and a half minutes of screen time. Sitting down, like. Do you mean I, in a panel show? Yeah, seven it's thing. just like yeah, it's okay. the song. Yeah, because there's because th- th- at that time there was a lot of throwing panel show ideas because I did loads of like sh- little pilot thingies where people were testing out game show ideas and it's like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just one after another of them trying to because they're quite cheap formats, aren't they? So like, okay, guys, we're all animals, yeah. And the point of the game is, you know, that type of stuff. And you're just like, oh god, again. And like, there's a part of me is just like, God, I want this to be over. And um, part of me is just like, give me the money, sort of thing. So yeah, um, I think that yeah, I, I I don't wish it were any other way. But were I to do it again, I I think I would just. Actually, I can't say definitely that would have just stuck to the stand-up because it, 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 you know, it benefited me in many, many ways. So, I, you know, there's things I wouldn't have now if I hadn't have been through that. So I can't even say, oh, if I did it again, I'd only do stand-up. I wouldn't do the panel shows. Panel shows gave me a huge amount. And I'm massively, massively grateful for Mock the Week were the first people to take a punt on me. And I will never forget that, you know, and never forget the fact that they backed me the ones where I wasn't very good and backed me on the ones where I was good. So, you know, they... I I owe them and I would never yeah I don't want to sound ungrateful of of that time but yeah there were some shit formats that people came up with <laughs> you know so when you first went to LA were you still in stand up mode were you thinking I'm going to go to LA and be a stand up I was thinking <clears throat> I'm going to go to LA and transition um I um, but I, so I was still doing stand up when I got out there. Um, but I, when I met with management, I was telling them like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm letting this go, but I am still doing stand up. But I could see that it could facilitate something over there. Okay, because yeah. you were going over for what for pilot season? Yeah, I went like, to do yeah. Un- uninvited. I went for but no one was like expecting me. But I don't I thought, think anyone's invited to pilot season. <laughs> well, some people Do they, are, they not but... just put up a flare and it was like, there it is. <laughs> I'm off. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, I think what I'm saying is I went speculatively rather than that sure, there was, sure, you know, sure. something on the horizon or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, what was I saying? What was I... Um, so, yes, yeah, you were uh, you were there transitioning out of stand-up yeah that's right but yeah. not you i'm presumably having meetings where you were going hey i'm a stand-up here's a load of proof that i'm a really good stand-up but uh i'd really much rather be doing this yeah but it but if it i would imagine stand-up gives you an edge over the next 10 sitcom actors sure exactly sure exactly and also yeah i mean pr- precisely that because that i i kept doing it because i knew strategically it would be useful and, uh, you know, I was, show, you know, showing promoters my clips of, you know, live at the Apollo, just showing them something of scale, do you know what I mean? That would yeah. make them just go, oh, OK, she's not just some, yeah, some yeah, chance sort of thing. I guess in the States, there's, there's far fewer huge rooms like that. You know, most stand-up clips are on uh, late-night TV shows with only got, like, 60, 100 people in the audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or it's people's specials as they call them yeah. now. So, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was a bit of that. So I just wanted to, them to show, wanted to show them that there is, hopefully they would consider me to have a bit of calibre behind behind me. It made no difference. Um, <laughs> so, no yeah, it was really hard, yeah, because, like, you just think, this is going to get me a gig, right? Like, I'm showing, like, this the smoke, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, come on. Um, but, yeah, it was actually, because LA is just, LA is not a place where you go to make it as a comedian. LA is where you go to get, 
to, to you've made you've you've really established yourself somewhere else, and then you come here and it it, it is the, you've made all your mistakes somewhere else. You arrive as a fully formed package, and then, right? Oh and probably God. you've got management, and they know you know what, where they're going to put you, and that's the, that's the game. Whereas you know, I was starting from almost pretty much a standing start without manage without the management to 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 really back me on that front. So yeah, it was and and what happened was I I was just finding it harder and harder to find gigs and the ones that I was doing they were like open mics where there was like 40 comedians who name goes into a hat have you done any gigs in LA so you know the ones I'm talking about you know 40 names into a hat and the names get pulled out and you know if you're sort of comedian number five fantastic you've got all the other comedians who are waiting you know maybe the first two hang around to it's like the London open mic circuit in like cubed isn't it? But yes, exactly. Sure. And then, but if you're comedian thirty six, every fucker's gone. You know what I mean? So you're playing a room to you're playing to five angry comedians who just want to get on and pissed off that everybody else overran. So it's kind of like, I there's there's only so many of those you can do. And you know, I don't want to be like arrogant about it, like I've done live at the Apollo or whatever. But you just think, fuck, does that count for nothing in this town? Um, yeah. <laughs> so and, was, and so what? For those people who do arrive as a fully formed thing, as, as the, the package with the management, mm. I guess they don't have to do that they, because they built up their profile in the States and so they're already a headliner. That's right, yeah. I think that's the case. And, you know, maybe their management can get them onto those good shows as well because there was one point when I did get my... I got new management and I got them involved and they started to get me sort of nicer gigs. But also in LA, those those rooms that we take for granted over here, they're, they're quite few and far between. Like... Nice rooms that pay a decent amount of money. They're not... I don't know that there's even that many of them in LA. Like, you know, I, I did, a, um, I think, a laughing laugh factory something or other, and I went home with a princely sum of, like, $13 or something, and it was just like, the fuck is this? You know what I mean? You know that there are rooms in the UK that people people live off this, you know, this, the, what they can generate on the UK circuit. They send their kids to private school, and there you can barely feed yourself, <laughs> you know, of the US, um, LA stand-up scene. Anyways... So I just, over time, I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't. How long? How long did? I mean, you were planning to transition out of it anyway. Yeah. But it, it, maybe you were expecting to sort of just be like the wave going into shore, just like on the on the surf, on the wave, hey, and I'm Gently, out. Yeah. And it wasn't quite like that. Yeah, it was more of a shelf, more of a tsunami <laughs> shelf. <laughs> I just fell off of. Um, yeah, I just, you know what? I just had a word with myself because I thought, you've started again many times, Osho. You've done that. You started again uh, after post-production. You did it after acting. And, you know, you've done it as a, you know, bringing writing in as well. So you, you're used to starting from the ground floor and building something. Why don't you want to do it now? And I realised that I'd kind of fallen out of love with the business uh, as well, uh, as well as everything else was going on, <laughs> being depressed and, you know, uh, yeah, all that stuff. So... I realised that I my my this particular manifestation of me as a comedian might might be might be done like the business had 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 got the better of me in a way. Is it harder or easier to be depressed in LA than London? Mm. Don't know. It wasn't great anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I think in LA, I think what I found difficult in LA was that I felt as though I was supposed to be there, but I didn't know why. 
I really did feel like I was supposed to be there. And I thought, God, it would be so easy if I instinctively felt like I should just go home. But I just didn't feel like that. So I was in this weird place, and it is a weird place, not in the ways that people think, that it's not like in the stereotypical you know, ways, but it is a strange, energetically, it's just very removed from London. And um, no one gave a crap that I was there, really, because, I, you know, apart from my management, but no, I hadn't made any fans of the industry, as they say. So, so, so my, my being there was largely irrelevant. And yet I still felt like I should be there. And so that was a strange time, a strange sort of paradoxical time of like thinking it would be easier if I went home, but feeling like I shouldn't and 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 not knowing what I should should be doing. Why? In which case. Where, where now, where do you think that feeling came from that you should be there? Um, I, I can't say I can't say I actually really know. I don't doubt it now, even with hindsight. But what I think it might have been is it might have been a regrouping. It might have been about recalibrating because I come back now with a different sense of myself and what I want to achieve and 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 what I'm capable of. And you know that that voice that we're talking about, the one that says you're not good enough, doesn't have such a purchase anymore. And that's come from being in probably the the, the toughest part of the entertainment industry because it's just because of pure competition. And in LA the entertainment business feels much more like a business. It feels like show business, you know, big letters, mm. whereas here it's sort of show play almost. Like we're kind of, comparatively, it feels like we're, we're larking about over here. Because it's getting, it's getting uh, I can feel the businessness of it coming because of, you know, collaborations with US, you know, businesses and talent and stuff like that, but, and production companies. But yeah, it really is a, a business and, even creatives are like super, super pro compared to us. Like, you know, when you're in a green room in LA, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I just noticed how businessy like every conversation is. It's like when you go into the comedy store in London, people are talking about their kids and, you know. A roads. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whereas in LA, they're like, hey, man, yeah, I saw that your book just came out. That's awesome news. And did you hear about da-da-da? They're producing it, blah, 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 blah. And it's business, business, business. And I just couldn't connect with that. I couldn't connect with other comedians because it's just like, who gives a fuck? I need to know which A road you took to get here. You know, <laughs> like, how are your kids? I just literally <laughs> don't care about that guy who's got a book out. It's like... Did you pretend we- to? Did you join in and pretend no, to? I, no, I completely... Sh- because what I wanted to do is just be almost silent in the dressing room and then be fucking awesome on stage. So that they're like, whoa. She, I thought she was going to tank or something. I don't know, or whatever they might have been thinking about me. And then I'll just go and just like torpedo the room. And did you? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you know, you know, being black and, and, and you know, British is a charm that beguiles them and confuses them at the same time. So it's sort of, it's almost like it's not fair. <laughs> you mean it's like the, they rolled over for you? Sometimes. No, I don't. I would. I still had to work for it, but it is just. It's just odd. It's just unusual, and not so much now because you know, obviously, there's a lot more black talent in in the states uh, in, in the entertainment industry than there used to be. But you know, the time it was just. <sighs> You know, there was a handful of people, and certainly not on the comedy circuit. There was, you know, not really any talent uh, that they. The one, G- they was it Gina? Yeah, Gina, right? and that's it, right? And that's it. So yeah. there's one of one, one, two people, basically. So yeah, I can't think of any other Brits that were there, sort of regularly, handling it. 
And and in terms of community, in terms of like, did you stay in touch with comics that you were mates with in the UK, or had you kind of isolated yourself? I saw a couple, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel part of a community. I didn't feel like because there's a lot of movement like between the two countries of like talent backwards and forwards in all industries, and I didn't feel particularly part of that community. Maybe because I was still in something. I can't. I don't really know why that was, but I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't really. Maybe, maybe because I was sort of yeah trying to squirrel myself away and just like maybe I was cocooned, waiting. Hopefully one day that I might at least have one butterfly wing or something. <laughs> maybe two. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did it go in terms of booking TV shows in America? Acting well, it started all right, and uh, but I never really got traction. So, you know, I'd get a pilot, but then the character would only be in that one episode. Or, you know, I did um, some late night talk shows and, you know, got into conversations with production companies about stuff, but it never really went anywhere. And so, so it was all fits and starts the whole time I was there. And I think that by the time I got into more recently, I just thought to myself, I need to up my game in terms of who my management is. And until that happens, I don't think I can do there what I really would like to. It's time to come home. And so that was that was a it was a very logical series of um, sort of thoughts and, in, and sort of yeah insights I suppose that I got about how the industry works there, who I am in it what's possible out you know out of all of that and therefore what action needs to be taken and i think that that sort of growth period had for the, for the time being concluded as well so it was time it was time to come home and and it's not like i was there consistently the whole 6 years i was backwards and forwards you know i shot a show i shot curfew for sky 1 um you know for 5 months last year and i you know backwards and forwards doing super shoppers and which is a consumer affairs show i did for channel 4 and you're smiling you can ask me about that yep so <laughs> so you know it wasn't like i was there consistently but i felt like it was time to 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 for my orientation you know that for that to be the UK again and so do you are you currently UK based or are you hopping back and forth yeah I still have a place over there but I'm I'm yeah my I'm the intention is to be here more but you know what was really useful about being there was like understanding how it works so that when I do or if I do end up working there again I've had like so much experience of just you know even just basic stuff like knowing the lay of the land knowing how the industry is structured over there knowing a few who you know key figures being members of you know film independent and uh, BAFTA LA and stuff like that you know what I mean like so I've gotten a certain degree of of, of um, foundation set up over there so that when I do go back if I do go back that this I'm not I'm, I'm hitting the ground running basically tell me about curfew so yeah this is something that I shot for sky one um last year 2018 so um yeah it's only it's we, we just uh, they're just putting on the f- finishing touches and it's out on friday so it's basically about this illegal t- sort of street race thing where if you win you get like helicoptered out it's, it's weird right you get helicoptered out of the uk to an uh, an island because you know, Britain has been overrun by this virus that's infecting people. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, we should have opened right? with virus. Post-apocalyptic, <laughs> right? Okay, it's it's not post-apocalyptic. It's a it's a uh, sort of parallel alternative present. Okay, yes. sci-fi. I guess so. Kind of sci-fi. Kind of. You know what? It's such a mashup. It's got a bit of everything. It's got you know drama, 
comedy. It's funny. And then it's got this, you know, kind of sci-fi aspect to it. Then it's got the race. So, yeah. And what's your role with it? So my um, kid, I've got two kids and my son does something he shouldn't have, which means that my husband, Adrian Lester, fabulous, ah, yeah, um, yeah. He, he he decides that the only course of action or the best course of action for us is to enter the race. And I'm like, hell to the no. Like, I I like the curfew. Like, my characters are just like, we're safe. And But he says, no, we've got to enter the race. And that's kind of where our story as a family begins. So this is... Uh this is quite uncharted territory for me because I normally talk to people about the stuff they've created yeah. about which they can be searingly honest about the, the highs and lows of it, right? <laughs> right? Because we're in kind of slightly more promotional territory. This right. is a thing and you it's not like you're in it but it's not your baby. Yeah. Like what can we discover about the process for you? Did you feel did you feel uh, grounded and happy? In making this? Well, I tell you what it does link to is this thing that we were saying about feeling good enough and stuff like that. So, you know, taking on a character over the course of, you know, a number of episodes is very different from all the other acting experiences that I've had. But I, you know, I just really enjoyed getting under somebody else's skin. And it's almost like a detective job, really, of like figuring out why is this person the way they are? Why are they saying... If I take what the, is, what's written in the script, what clue does that give me about who this person is? So in terms of a, an act, acting process, it was so... It's so much... I mean, obviously, it's the dream to get a regular role in something or, a, a, you know, lead role in something, but it really is so rewarding to, like, really get into one character and just be with them and figure them out and be them. And be honestly them, you know, because you can manufacture certain moments, certain scenes if you're not feeling it. But the but the real, um, the juicy, yummy bit is when you go, yeah, I'm actually con- completely connected with that experience with that character. I'm drawing on something that happened to me and using it in that moment. Um, and and so I'm creating that moment honestly. And is your is your acting craft? Is it DIY? Is it apprenticeship based? Given that you didn't go to drama school, yeah. So now, so yes, yes, and also I went. I did a a really fabulous course in LA with this um, acting coach Howard Fine, who you know he's worked with you know, Bradley Cooper and Jared Leto and people like that. And uh, his his training was exactly what I needed. The first time I encountered it, I felt like it was too big for me. I felt like I would get swallowed up by it because I wasn't ready to, you know, take on training. It was just so rigorous. And, uh, what kind of thing are you talking like? It's not Eastern being a European tree. clown training, <laughs> yeah, right, shaving yeah. your head and running in the snow. Right. What kind of thing are we talking about? <laughs> but it is, it's just, it, you know, a lot of times with a lot of creative things, people try and bullshit their way through it. And he was not taking that. He doesn't, I mean, basically he's asking for absolute authenticity. And if you try and wing it, he will, he'll call you on it. And so you can't cute your way through this training. That's the best way I can describe it, really. And it's like, you know, when someone's got their little tricks and their tools that they use, and we, you know, we have it in stand up and all kinds of, you know, creative expressions where you just like, oh, this will get me through this. I don't have to phone it in a bit or whatever. He won't take that. And so I didn't feel like I was ready to be, you know, to have that rigor imposed on me. But then when I was, I really, I mean, I think it's some of the best training I've had. Because, And I was ready for it. I don't think I would have even heard, been able to properly hear it if I'd done it maybe 10, or when I first started acting. So it came at just the right time, um, probably around 
you know, probably been in LA a couple of years. So I'd sort of got the lay of the land and realised that you got to up your game in terms of acting. You've really got to bring... You can be a good actor or you, if you want to be a great actor, you've got to bring a level of authenticity and, you know, spontaneity and presence that people who are trying to man- manufacture a performance are not going to be able to do because they're kind of trying to curate it and pre, pre-shape it. Decide, oh, in this moment I'm going to do a little look and then I'm going to, you know, when people shape a performance like that, you can tell it's inauthentic because they're not spontaneously in the moment with the person that they're with, as real people do in a conversation. I'm really interested in that idea of authenticity because that I think that has parallels with good comedy. Right. When you get the sense that, oh, this person isn't... You can always see it when someone has made a decision about, now I'm going to go like this to right. show that I'm like <laughs> yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Completely, completely. So if you were to return to stand-up, would you be able to find that authenticity going back? Would that you would need be to do- the only reason I would return to stand-up. You know, and, that, and that's, that, see, that's what, because I was saying to uh, uh, someone earlier that it's almost like a pebble in my shoe, but in a good way of like, something's calling me back. And the only thing I know that it must be on my terms and my terms were, I realise now, always about the craft of it. It was always about pure stand-up. That's what I loved. That's what I love. And so if I went back, it would be make, it would be about the authenticity. And I wouldn't care about getting onto any... This is what's great, because I've done all that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't care about trying to get anywhere. You, you could know. do one of those Rob Newman pivots. Right. Where you're like, well, I've already not that done... political, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, sure, but I've already done Wembley. Like, yeah, what do right. I actually give a fuck about? Yeah, 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 yeah right. I'm and putting words in his mouth there. I've not had it on the show. But, but, yeah, I mean, that's it. how he feels. Um, yeah, and, and then, so... Uh, and my commitment would still obviously be about funny. But, um, you know, it, it just would... It, oh, it just takes that uh, clawing desperation of, uh, I hope that a producer's in the back of the room this, out of the whole thing. Can you see that desperation when you look at old Andy Osho? Let's see. Um, I, even if I, we I, can't. Yeah, even no, if we I can't. tell you what I can see is, um, is more of a fear of like me. I want, I want you, you all to like me. You know, and it's not like <laughs> I'm about to create some monster or something that like doesn't give a fuck about what people think. But it's more like because because I'm not trying to get anywhere. I'm not trying. I don't need. I don't want anything from you. Just for you to be able to enjoy this. I want to share this with you. That's all I'll I'll be wanting. So it just it just it just unburdens you of certain certain responsibilities. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not you're not trying to shape a career here. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm much happier than I used to be. I think. I think that I'm learning that depressive energy belongs in my space somehow, you know. So I'm and I say it like that really specifically because not because I don't want it to don't want to call it depression, but I just that's I I want to relate to it more like that, like it's just an energy, it's just part of my it's just an energy that's part of who I am and sometimes I'm I'm more in that than others. But for the most part I'm much happier than I used to be. I think my I think my I think there's a sort of a settledness you know about me now internally that I didn't have before. But I also feel like there's some there's a bit more work to do in terms of just being comfortable in my own skin and just 
kind of being more present, basically, you know, just letting each day unfold for what it is and and detaching just ever so from trying to get somewhere. Because sometimes I try and vacate the present moment by having fantasies of how life might turn out and how maybe one day there will be a partner. Maybe there'll be a house and a dog. I love cats. But, you know, you know, the present moment is all we really have. And so the more you can really comfortably tolerate that space and whatever is really in that space, then you will be, quote unquote, happy, I think. If you could, via the use of some sort of magic tunnel through time, mm. if you had the opportunity yes. to say one thing, like it, you had one minute to peer through time and talk to your younger self. Oh, wow. And you had, the, and it was about happiness. It was about getting all the things you've learned. What's the one thing that you would try and pass to younger you to try and... Uh, so I can go back at any time. Yeah, you can pick a time. Pick a time and you've got one or you've got two minutes to get across the central, like the most valuable lesson that you have learnt in the last, since however long. Oh gosh, I think it's going to be a bit worthy. But I'd probably go back to sometime, uh, sometime around 10 or something like that. And I would tell myself something along the lines of, you're fine, you know, you don't, don't, don't let, don't keep this ember going because this is who you are. And no matter what happens ar- around you, no matter what people try and tell you, this is who you are. And then phew, I would disappear and she would be totally freaked out. <laughs> So that was Andy. Thank you once again to her for coming along. Um, really, really enjoyed that conversation. And um, as I said, I'm very, very grateful to her for being so upfront and so candid about the the development, the, the personal development journey that she's been on. I think it's, it's, it's very interesting, fascinating to hear someone who had a lot of the things that I suppose people in certain early phases of their career, people, I mean, we all know, open mics who would give their right arm to go, oh, here's all my clips, here's my appearances on this, that and the other. And actually, I think it, it shows a remarkable strength of character for Andy to have put the brakes on and gone, actually, I might appear to be having it all here, but this isn't what I want. So um, it puts me in mind a little bit of friend of the podcast and someone I'm always trying to convince to come on the show, Joe Wilkinson. Joe and I started at uh, a similar time, around the mid-2000s, And um, I remember being so impressed that he was doing really well, did well in competitions, and he just put the brakes on it. He went, the direction that this is going in is not where I want to take it. He kind of circled back, had a bit of a break, and then became the Joe Wilkinson that... uh, Well, he's the the same guy. (laughs) But my point is, he was able to tap the tiller in quite a significant way. And I'm always impressed uh, when people do that, when people have the self-confidence and the self-belief to seize control of what they're doing and change it, rather than feeling like the the undertow, the drag of, well, this is happening now, that it has to go like that. This harks back a little bit, I think, to what I said at the end of last week's episode about change and about how we can all change and you don't have to stay anywhere forever, as they say. So 
Thank you once again to Andy Osho. Thanks to Jake Crossland for logging this episode and reminding me that I haven't put it out yet. I'm so sorry. That's not happened in nearly 300 shows that I am terribly uh, uh, embarrassed. Thank you to uh, Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant, Rob Smountain for the music, and of course Nathan Wood for his uh, editing and uploading abilities. Um, and I mean production. I keep saying editor and uploader. What I mean is production, producer, producer Nathan Wood. There we are. Let's 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 dignify Nathan with a proper title. There we go, mate. Um, follow me at ComComPod on Twitter or Instagram to be kept abreast of developments. And like I said, the Facebook group is a really good place to not just uh, not just swap B memes while I'm out of the country for a week. Thank you, children, naughty children. Um, but also to to indulge in some quite dare I say, high-level, respectful, intelligent, sophisticated comedy conversation. So uh, join up there and uh, that'll be the second port of call after the Insiders Club uh, for any new special things that are happening during Edinburgh. Um, One more time, 20 minutes plus worth of extra stuff available from Andy at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, I'm going to have a little post-amble at you in just a sec. Um... And for that, I might go into a different room. Bye for now. So, hello. This is um, this is me post-ambling at you, and you'll notice the uh, acoustic has changed radically. I'm in an incredibly echoey small room, which is a terrible place to record. I apologise. This is the only quiet corner I can find in the office. It occurs to me if I could bring in a duvet, I could do one of my... Um, I could bring in my... My box full of memory foam, couldn't I? And I could uh, bring in my little recording studio. But even then, I'd be hard-pressed to deal with the amazing echo here. Here's a little post-amble at you about the ridiculous holiday we've just been on. And, um, God, what a week. What a week. We went to France with another family. And uh, they're lovely, and their children are the same age as our children. And our, uh, our toddlers are best pals at their childcare. So we had a lovely family holiday together. But a week before that, I broke my thumb. Did I tell you about this? I fell down the stairs like a little old man. You remember. Broke my thumb, had my thumb in a cast, had my whole thumb and wrist and most of my hand in a cast, and um, was sort of feeling pretty... Uh, it's just such a pain. It's such a pain physically and such an inconvenience and a frustration to be trying to change nappies... And, and, uh, oh God, I, I, okay, so this is, this is one element of it. Every single non-parent that I said this to said the same thing. The problem is, when you've got your hand in a cast, you can't risk getting matter on the cast. So when you change a nappy, you've got to do it one-handed or with an elbow, or often leave it to your partner and go, look, I, I cut, I've done a few of these, I can't do them today. So my wife ended up doing more than her fair share. Everyone I mentioned that to was like, oh, God, it's a nightmare, I can't do nappies. They'd be like, hey, brilliant. And you go, no, you have no understanding of co-parental debt. <laughs> I would much rather do the things. Is that a... I don't know, is that... It makes me think now that sometimes I um, uh, rely on doing tasks... I think, is that a dad thing? I don't want to gender it unnecessarily, but there is a certain comfort to be found when parenting, when things are melting down all around you. Um, and that's a whole other post Good Lord, the Boutros. I love that boy to bits, but uh, he's been flipping out. He's been having a flip out with his lip out six times during a, a two-hour shopping trip yesterday. Good Lord. Anyway, love him. Um, the uh, Oh, and maybe an opportunity... Oh, look, look there's, there's another... 
there's a thing, there's a, there's a string to my bow regarding parenting and media that uh, might be a thing. But uh, I was about to tell you about it and I realised I can't yet because it doesn't technically exist. Doesn't matter. Tangents upon tangents, wheels within wheels. Um, I, uh, the point is that you, it, it's debt, right? <laughs> you, it's better to do the tasks when coping with a melting down child or a pair of children, a brace of, uh, of young, uh, there is a certain comfort to be found in just doing stuff. I think if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, that is a, you know, that's a dad thing, isn't it? You go, and the reason it's a dad thing is because we've got less moral fibre is the point I'm trying to make. Because you go, oh, right, don't, I'll, go, I'll get the car. I'll bring the car round. Because what that means is I'll go away and do something quasi-necessary. <laughs> packing the car. There's a bit in end of about how much I enjoy, how important it is to me to pack the car. And let's drill right down into that. To be honest, that's partly about having a task to do so that you can go and do your task, which is... Yes, I'm in, I, my mother-in-law listens to this show religiously and <laughs> pulls me up on all of the things in the post ambles that um, I'm ashamed of. So uh, uh, apologies, Alan. <laughs> it's true, and we'll have to chat about it. Um, yes, my mother-in-law's called Alan. Let's, let's not dwell on that. Look, I was all over the place because I'd broken my thumb... And then we went on holiday, and then, okay, I had a thing. I can't remember the first part of the, the word for this. It's a two, it's a medical term. It's in two words. The second word's syncope. What it is, is when little old men get up for a wee in the middle of the night, and the resulting drop in blood pressure from being deeply asleep to being stood up, right? You know, just like getting up quickly. Getting up quickly and weeing is that even more so. And the deeper asleep you've been in, that extends it as well. And basically, that kind of head rush, whoa, faint thing. This little old men can faint sometimes. And it happened to me. I got up for a wee in the middle of the night on holiday and I fainted dead away. I was, I, I did not pass out because I was drunk. I was very slightly drunk. But it was mostly me getting up for a wee in the middle of the night and we were in this huge house that we'd, that we'd rented and arguably far too big. And, uh, and so I was kind of like down through a door and down some stairs and up some stairs and through another door. Had a wee, just rocked backwards. I sort of don't remember it. I hazily remember in quite a fun kind of uh, televisual kind of way, like just seeing the ceiling. And Jesus Christ, I just literally fell over backwards, like a prone fall. You know, like um, I might have mentioned, we, we learnt in circus school. I remember, I remember our clown teacher coming in one day and saying, right, today we're falling over. And so a prone fall is you just, you just face the floor and put your hands down at the last minute, but you basically just go bang. Well, it was that backwards, and my head bashed on the lip of... Um, do I mean the lip, the bit of a shower that was behind the toilet? So the, the bit that stops the water coming out of the shower onto the floor, that bit, let's call it the lip, I just banged my head off that. Christ, can you think of anything more painful? And, uh, and not myself unconscious. And suddenly awoke to be being, my wife ran over and was shaking me awake going, Jesus Christ, and doing that thing where someone is um, so worried for you that it's become their problem and now they're freaking out and you need to look after them. <laughs> but I was in no position to look after her because I was 
in so much pain with my poor little broken thumb and I was just unconscious like with my eyes open staring and uh, and she roused me and uh, and then we had to sit and go well look do we need to like if we call an ambulance we're two miles well not two but we're two hours from Toulouse and we're in the middle of effing nowhere so for convenience sake let's just hope I'm not dying (laughs) And we'll just monitor me. And then I was sick. And then with the next morning, we, we texted some GP, some GPs. Yeah, how middle class are we? we? We've got two friends who are both GPs. And um, those are our go-to. Those are our walking around GPs. There are probably some other GPs there as well. But um, we, we texted uh, both of these dear friends. And uh, they got back to us and said, look, well, if he hasn't been sick, it's fine. And we're like, no, no, he's been sick. Okay, well, it was probably the booze. Okay, fine, we've been eating lots of uh, French cheese and uh, rich food. Um, So it was probably just that. Continue monitoring Stu and make sure he doesn't be sick again or pass out again or his head falls off. God, it was a scary night and Christ, it hurt. Just remembering now, bloody hell that hurt. And then... One of our, our household got very ill with uh, what I shall refer to as a double-ender and move on. A 24-hour double-ender. And then that started working its way around the adults and children on the trip. And I got it on the travelling day home. So there's me with my neck very tender. I've got a huge bruise under my hair on the right side of my head. Still now, very, very tender. Uh, you know, hand in uh, cast squeezy <laughs> as my wife tries to steer us all back through uh, you know a higher car and then through a, a plane journey and then eventually getting home what I'm saying is I'm sorry if you're in Wokingham or Guildford I didn't make those gigs I planned in my hubris to get back to the UK at about four and then my friend was going to drive me because I can't drive because of the broken thumb um, my friend was going to drive me to the shows and I thought, hey, this will be a breeze. And I absolutely failed. And I'm sorry, but my God, <laughs> just piles upon things and things. And I missed a gig that I, I won't go into this in too much detail, just to say that there is an important and regular gig that I do and that I love doing. And uh, they sent me the information on Wednesday lunchtime saying, right, we'll see you tomorrow on the Thursday. And I'm so glad I caught that email because I had something in the email chain months ago had broken down and uh, I wasn't able to do a big important thing that, I'm, that I regularly do. And, um, and so I let all those people down because for the want of an email ages ago, and I was like, well, I, I can't do this. I'm in France and I've just smashed my head. Um, so, so all told, between the illness and the unconsciousness and the, the inability to help properly and nearly, you know, making things super hard for a bunch of uh, people I, I love working with very much and nearly losing a really lovely regular thing, what a week. What a fucking week. And now I'm back and I've got that post-holiday thing of the landslide of admin that even now, by talking to you in detail about everything going wrong, I am largely procrastinating from getting on with three significant things that I have to get done today. Oh, well, it felt good to get that off my chest. (laughs) I don't know that we can draw anything or conclude anything from that. But, um, you know, it's... 
two things in, I was thinking, things happen in threes, don't they? Something else is going to happen. Then I got ill, and then I nearly lost this, uh, this great job. And uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, God, do things just keep happening? Is that how they keep happening now? But what can you do about falling down the stairs? It's because we live in a very narrow house with very uh, steep steps, and my feet protrude over the, the end of the steps. I'm going to say lip again, <laughs> the second type of lip. They stick out over the stairs. What can you do? You can't move house. <laughs> what can you do? Fireman's pole, trampette. That's it. That's the options. Anyway, thank you for listening. I don't imagine you have been. But um, uh, here's to uh, the end of May being filled with positivity and physical health and strength because they took the cast off yesterday and my little withered hairy pale claw oh, that I've not washed in two weeks because it's, it's been under a cast it was just an absolute state I think the last time I broke something and had a cast removed I, I was young and vigorous and I was like yes I'm better now whereas now I was like can you put the cast back on please I feel very weak goodbye Thank you.